Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. With me, as usual, is uh, coming from sunny Austin, Texas, is Mr. Rob Hirschfeld. Good morning, Rob. <laughs> that, that many days of sunshine is the key selling point. Many days of sunshine sitting in traffic with lots of cars. Is that the key, the key selling point? Uh, actually, I think the key selling point is no income tax, but that's, you know, however you want to spin it, that's not weather. So. <laughs> well, Rob, we have another new guest, again, starting this year off with uh, new people. I'm very excited about this guest, and uh, he's gonna, we're going to actually use the word fog computing, which I don't know. I, I don't know if that's like, you know, some sort of satanic thing if you were uh, in certain places. So I'm interested to see where this goes. So let me introduce our guest and he'll tell us a little about himself before we jump in. Uh, so let me introduce you to Ed Kazimchak. I think I got that right. He's the CTO and Director of IoT at Software Design Solutions uh, in Pittsburgh. And I also noticed that Ed spent a number of years at Texas Instruments which is kind of interesting. You don't see people still there. I assume Texas Instrument is still on. Ed, is, is Texas Instrument still going? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yep. Um, Somebody's got to make all those calculators for the APs and SATs. Well, I mean, I, 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 I still use their embedded systems. I have a, a, a TI embedded Bluetooth uh, board here at my desk. So, yeah. I, and that, sorry, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't make light of the... They, there's a significant amount of great TI technology besides the dreaded uh, calculator. Yeah, it's just I haven't heard or seen TI in a long time, so I thought that was interesting. Well, Ed, I apologize for interrupting you, but if you can give us a little bit of background besides working at TI, and then uh, we can go from there. Okay, great. Uh, Rob, Stephen, uh, thank you for having me on. Um, so uh, as they mentioned, uh, I'm, I'm founder and CTO of Software Design Solutions. I have about 30-some uh, years in embedded systems. Um, Stephen mentioned I spent some time at uh, Texas Instruments as part of a startup that uh, Texas Instruments acquired here in Pittsburgh. Um, and then after, uh, after that, I uh, founded uh, Software Design Solutions and focused on embedded systems uh, software mostly. And uh, three years ago, we joined forces with Applied Visions, a um, enterprise-level cloud mobile application development company out of Long Island, New York. And kind of the two of us together, SDS doing embedded systems, Applied Visions doing cloud side, we began to focus uh, uh, primarily on IoT solutions because we can take everything from board level sensors, which we do a little bit of board design now, all the way through uh, embedded hardware, embedded firmware, gateways, and fog computing, which we'll talk about today, and also cloud uh, processing as well. So, Ed, fog computing is one of these things that uh... It drives some people crazy. Some people, I once read that it was a Cisco marketing term to try to defeat AWS and everyone with cloud. But uh, why don't you define what you see as fog, and then we can go from there. It's been a while since I've Rob since we've talked about fog. That's because I usually don't like that term. <laughs> 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 no pressure, Ed. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm 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 not going to uh, to make it a goal to to uh, get you to like the term, Rob. Um, I'm not sure that I I'm not sure that I like the term either. It is a catchy marketing term, and in fact, you know, uh, it was 
last year or perhaps the end of 18 that I presented at Fog World Congress. And I think that that's kind of the pinnacle of when something, you know, is, has reached its, uh, has reached its, its, its marketing hype is when you have a, a World Congress trade show. Um, so, uh, I mean, I think that, that, uh, a lot of what people are, are talking about when they talk about the fog, uh, you start by thinking about the three tier, um, architecture of most IOT systems. And we'll talk classical IOT systems where you have sensors that are sensing physical things out in the world. And you have gateways, which are receiving that information and then sending it on to the cloud. Now, in a, now there's always uh, examples of systems where the gateway doesn't exist. There's examples of systems where the cloud doesn't exist. There's probably not examples of systems where the, where the sensors don't exist or else it wouldn't really be IoT. But if you think of, uh, if, if I really was in an elevator, maybe two floors worth of an elevator ride and someone said, what's fog computing? I would say it's just processing at the gateway. If they already know what a gateway is, fog computing is just processing that you do at the gateway level. And uh, one of the most important things about fog computing, and um, uh, I, I like to say that, that the gateway, and we'll sometimes, I'll use those two terms kind of, uh, kind of intermingled. The gateway is, is at a point, it's at this sweet spot where you are close enough to the action that you don't have network bandwidth delays and you don't have um you don't have the the issue of of lots of of um opportunity for cloud storage and, and the security that that is involved there but you're also close enough to the action that you can have quick interaction with sensors you have usually AC power you can plug into. So you have lots of power, whereas out at the sensors, they might have to be battery operated. And so um, I'm going to let you guys, you know, kind of, kind of internalize that and, and, uh, and, and fire back some questions. If you can, I'll, I'll, I'll explain my objection to fog. Um, and, and maybe you can, you can talk to That'd it. That'd be great. Right. Because fog, fog to me is this, uh, is this, um, play on the, the cloud concept, right? Where you have a cloud that's close to the ground, and, right? So that means you're, you're closer to the, the stuff. And, and the problem is cloud is non-differentiated, perfectly elastic. I don't know where it is. The whole purpose of cloud is to say, I can't, I don't know what thing I'm touching. I'm just sending it into this amorphous stuff. And IoT and edge infrastructure is incredibly physically constrained, right? It's not like you're sending, and by your very definition, you're not sending data from a sensor into some random gateway or some random network thing. You actually care that it's in the physical proximity or it's on this trusted network or it has this latency to the next processing stage. And so the idea that fog is this, you know, amorphous thing that I don't know where it is seems totally counter to what the, the physicality that we usually talk about with IoT and Edge—that's that's my objection. I think so. I think that's a valid uh, that, that's a valid concern, Rob. I think that that when you start to think about the 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 fog computing, don't think of it as um, the cloud brought down closer to the ground, <laughs> which which is 
which which all which defies the entire you know naming convention. I understand. <laughs> yeah, this is this is where I'm, there's a whole school of thought for edge people who are like, we're just going to take the cloud no, and shrink it no. into a Raspberry Pi and poof. And and that's where it's like, no, you're doing edge computing or you're doing you know API driven infrastructure. You're not. That's not cloud. Cloud is you know has this elastic, unbounded infrastructure. Um, that that's where I get my my head sort of. No, I think that on, that's, I think cross, that that's a very good. I mean, uh, a a perhaps easier way to think about it is it's doing the things that you doing the things as near to the edge as possible for all the reasons that are important to do them like latency and 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 high bandwidth and also communication reliability but doing them at a point where you have the resources available and also I'll say the context available and what I mean by that is um, people love to talk about edge compute and the people who love to talk about edge compute are hardware vendors. And the reason is the, the number of devices in an IOT system is a big pyramid. You know, up at the top of the pyramid, you have one cloud instance. And then down in the middle of the pyramid, you'll have your gateways and there'll be maybe 10 or 20 or a hundred of them. Uh, but in a, in a large IOT, in a large IOT system. But down at the edge, you'll have 10,000 edge nodes. Well, you know, the, the, the uh, device manufacturers are interested in the 10,000, right? They're going to sell 10,000 chips if they have 10,000 edge nodes times, you know, times 10,000 is, is, you know, 100 million. So you have a lot of opportunity now um, in the edge. But and so folks love to talk about edge processing and machine learning at the edge and image image recognition at the edge and and that's all valid. But there's a lot of of IoT uh, use cases where you just aren't going to have the horsepower or the electrical power out at the edge to do that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if you're in an industrial system or you're in a uh, agricultural sprinkler control system, you can't afford both in terms of power and in terms of cost to build that kind of horsepower into each node. And you might not need it because the uh, go ahead. And 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 it might be it might be pretty expensive to put beefy in power budget and in actual process and cost to put a beefy processor in in the definitely in the device or even in the gateway that's where the thinking right? is, is that, now is that i think that, that in terms of in terms of uh of electrical power usually the gateway ha is at a point where it can get a hold of at least uh beefy dc power with a solar or or at, or quite often ac power so Power budget isn't as isn't as important in a gateway. Um, you have to dissipate heat, which is a concern, but uh, but you uh, you often have AC power at a gateway. I think one of the things I, I keep hearing though is this idea that we're going to have, you know, gateway augmentate maybe gateway augmentation or near gateway or even distributed gateway capabilities. So you might have you know your your on site gateway might be constrained to a solar panel. But you could then take advantage of a telco point of presence within a couple of milliseconds latency where they actually have 
I wouldn't call it cloud infrastructure, but but multi-tenant and shared infrastructure. So you could say, oh, wait, or even spin up like persistent infrastructure that's dedicated to your use case. So you could have a wind, a, a wind, a wind farm where three or four wind farms have some gateway, but then that ties into shared infrastructure within a hundred mile radius. So it's it's a reasonable time. And then move the you know the IoT components into more standard computing, right? Which reason should be more cheaper, right? It should be less expensive to get a generalized purpose server and put it in a um, telco uh, point of presence than build the same thing into a, a you know environmentally sensitive you know remote site from that perspective. Is that a map? Is that a a shift you see going on? I, I think that it is. Uh, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a shift. I think it's what has been. Ha- what has been the um, uh, has been the standard for many years. I mean, I like to. I like to say sometimes that you know the original fog processing environments were SCADA systems, right? <laughs> so I mean, this, the SCADA system was a centralized, but not cloud-based computer connected to all of the sensors. And what we've done is we've made the sensors intelligent now, and the folks who love to build intelligent sensors have said, well, we don't need this. We don't need any any processing at the join point of these sensors. They're just going to do everything. And that's really not the, the right use case all the time. I mean, if you take your, um, if we take your windmill uh, example, uh, and we say, let's say we have vibration sensors on those windmills and some temperature sensors on those windmills, of course, wind speed indicators. Um, on each individual windmill, and maybe there's multiple of them on each windmill, you don't really want those sensors trying to make significant decisions on, you know, in isolation. But at the point where they send their information to, at that first hop, that gateway, it can make interesting, it can make interesting uh, uh, analysis on that information. Now, it can certainly look at um, vibration and using a vibration model can start to tell you whether you've got bearing, you know, a potential bearing failure happening. Um, but what can't it do? What do you need to cloud for? People would say, well, maybe we don't need to cloud. What you need to cloud for is you need to say, okay, how is this mill, windmill or this windmill farm uh, performing compared to the one, two states away? Or how's this windmill farm comparing, performing to how it compare, how it performed uh, last month or last year? That kind of analysis and the dashboards and analytics that go with that, that belongs in the cloud. And so we like to think about, you know, the analysis that goes on being segmented where the analysis that can be done often heuristical, sometimes machine learning, but often heuristical analysis that can be done using the localized information of several sensors. That's what we think of as fog processing. Um, but the preventative maintenance, the asset management, the health, you know, the big dashboard with a picture of the United States and, you know, this farm is doing well and this one's underperforming and, and all of that, uh, that belongs in the cloud. So I, I can definitely see, you know, as your management plane rolls up, right, those do become centralized pieces and, and you're, you are going to run them in, in a centralized resource. Um, there's, a, there's an operational component to what you're describing, too, that I think 
we don't talk about as much. And since you're actually in the business of designing these systems, right? So you're actually making decisions at the hardware level. What do I put onto a board or into a processor or on a, on a gateway system? Isn't there a component also in thinking through, you know, this is a software piece that I'm going to rev every, you know, two months or three months or models I'm going to keep injecting in. And this is hardware I'm designing that hopefully has a five-year or better lifetime or <laughs> If it's in field, it could have a 10-year lifetime. How do you, right, outside of rolling things up for management, how do you think of where to put the, the, the operational change-enabled components? Because that's the other side of this, right? Making a change to a centralized system is, you know, e I'm air quoting easy. And it is easy compared to every step you get closer into the sensors. It seems like that becomes exponentially harder both in scale and in specificity of the hardware and you know the environment and the, the cost of, of error. That's very much the case. I mean, it's certainly the case that as um, this is one of the places where early prototyping helps. It's one of the places where um, building for the future comes into play because you know as we're working with customers and and you know some some customers it's easy to get them to dream big and you kind of have to reel them back even but uh, often folks are like well I just need to measure the temperature on this thing but what will you need to do in 2 years and what will you need to do with this temperature measurement and and how can you see that being used and um and often uh we we just need to sit down with the domain expert inside their organization and say, what do you do by hand today? You know, the, in, in no matter what organization, there's going to be someone and it's going to be often someone from the field who just by the sound or sight or feel of, of a piece of equipment can know what's going on. And that's what we're trying to duplicate, right? <laughs> feeling the feeling the vibration, right? You put your hand on the carburetor, and you're like, "Oh, the timing's exactly. off." Um, so, but but I when I look look at how fast this is changing, because this is this is the key thing, right? We're designing IoT infrastructure today, literally based on stuff that was designed two years ago. Um, you have to be looking at that infrastructure and saying, "I don't even know what AI models I can apply." that I want to run on my gateway, you know, by the time I've actually gotten to deployment, can you, do you sit back and say, all right, I need to put more, you know, generic compute capacity into these, into these systems or just say, oh, you know, I don't even want much generic compute capacity. I'm, I assume that I'm going to get, you know, a beefier system. As, a, as I look at it? Um, it? It depends on the domain, but it is certainly the case that as, as we are specifying, I mean, because I, as I mentioned, we often assist the customer in selecting sensors, specifying the microcontroller that's going to go on the sensor board, helping them prototype that, um, sometimes building the eventual product there. As we're doing that, we always have to be thinking about okay, this is this this meets the need, and how much headspace is left? How much more processing power do we have on the device? Do we have a uh, nice upgradable path? You know, and so if we choose something like a like a um, a Cortex M3 for its for its power 
uh, consumption, you know, profile, is it going to be easy enough to move to a, uh, a an M4 or an A7 and get, you know, and 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 get a lot more horsepower for a little bit more uh, for a little bit more current uh, current power. Um, I think all of those things have to be taken into account as we do this. Um, I will say it's a, you are exactly correct in that the further you go down in that triangle out to the edge, the harder it is to add a capability later unless you have planned for it. Hmm, that makes sense. And do you, do you feel like that's changing the, the conversation here? Like if you're, it, it, I mean, it strikes me, and we've just started doing, you know, more work with Raspberry Pis, which, you know, they keep going through dramatic improvements. Um, and I'm watching, you know, people, you know, traditional vendors building edge focused platforms and 16 gigs of RAM is cheap and, you know, very, you know, that's a lot of capability that you can put on an, on a gateway. Um, it, are we, are we seeing things where we might end up with, you know, pretty performant cluster capabilities and just say, you know, I'm going to, I can make the sensors dumber or. Do we have to? Do we have to have a trade-off there at all? I think that the uh, what we are seeing is that sensors are continuing to move forward in in capability, but what we care about is their sensing ability and not so much their computability. Like we are, I mean, we we might be in the in the minority here, but we're more likely to be interested in uh, a sensor with a high dynamic range than a, a sensor that lets us load a neural, uh, you know, some kind of neural network onto it <laughs> and make and make some choice. It, you know? well, that, that makes perfect sense to me. And, and this is, I guess, what I'm trying to tease out if, because the, the software that you're going to have, you know, just one step or even two steps into that, into that stack is going to change, you know, so fast. Why, and why embed it on the sensor, build a great sensor. And then the, let software deal with it, you know, at the gateway or at the near near edge infrastructure piece. All that tees up, though, a question about networking, yeah. which we haven't talked. We like we've we've been all silicon right now. You can't have that conversation. You can't make these designs without understanding networking. What's what what's the exciting thing, or what's the trade off on networking? Well, I think that one of the one of the interesting things that we're going to have to deal with is um, is the opportunity that we now have with with low cost, low power cellular, and I'm talking, you know, NBIoT and uh, and Cat M1, um, where all of a sudden you have opportunity for sensors even to bypass the gateway and go directly to the cloud. So now we have taken out of the picture. This thing that I said was so valuable, which is a gateway running fog processed applications. Um, I think there's still going to be um, uh, plenty of use for this fog processing because there's still going to be plenty of sensors that just cannot afford um, the upfront cost of, uh, of a cell modem. Um, the additional power of a cell modem, I mean, they are much lower power than they used to be. I mean, we can run them on on you know um, you know double A's instead of car batteries. But you also have you also don't need every sensor on your windmill to be making a phone call. 
when you could just put a gateway and have it send that data and you could you know sometimes run wires to the sensors and now you don't even have a power problem I, I thought 5G was going to just an, el eliminate every networking problem, power, yeah. bandwidth, placement yeah. that we have, mm -hmm. right? It is. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. When it <laughs> <laughs> and not, it's not just that. It's available today, Rob, and you can use it I mean, on I, nothing, I, but it's there. I can't tell. I watch commercial string football. Um, I, 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 I'm sad. That um, that uh, that 5G and NBIoT came out at the same time because uh, I, I'm concerned that that you know that a rollout of NBIoT is going to take a backseat to people pushing 5G so that I can watch Netflix on the train or something like that where I could be getting reasonable data. Mm. So can you can you back up back up and give people a little bit more technical back distinction so that they understand what what's going on? I, I agree with you. Five G is like you know touted as people streaming movies, um, which is great. We should do that, but that's that's actually the wrong direction for a lot of this data consumption from an IoT perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, well, um, I'll, I'll 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 give my impression. Um, so, um, you know. The, the the cellular infrastructure is building out in two different directions. One is toward five, you know, 5G is coming along and it is much faster, much higher bandwidth. Um, and and that is exactly what what um, most sensor systems just don't need. Um, at the same time, it is building out NB-IoT and a technology called CADM1, which CADM, uh, LTE CADM1 takes existing LTE infrastructure and just provides a lower bandwidth version of it at a much lower cost. And so, you know, today, um, well, not today, but let's, let's go back a few years, say three, four years ago, if you wanted your, you know, pipeline, you know, meter or your sprinkler system on an agricultural setup, if you wanted that to have uh, cellular connectivity, you had the option to do so, but you had to buy an LTE modem. And so now you're paying on the order of $20 a month just to get LTE data for that thing. And it had the capability of sending large amounts of data when all it was really wanted to send was, well, here's how many gallons went by on the pipeline, or, hey, here's the soil, temp here's the soil moisture today, and, and it rained last night. You know, that's not a lot of data. And that's what NBIoT and CADM1 are really meant for. They're very small amounts of data. You know, think think for, for folks of my age, think pager instead of cell phone, right? It just wants to send a wee bit of information. Right. And for and people, you know, if you're not aware, you should be aware the text systems were actually interstitial, Stephen, just for you, interstitial uh, data transmissions between voice calls. Um, right, that's how little data you can get away with, with sending. But I, I want to I want to drill on this for a second though, because the, what we're talking about are really two different models. Because even if even if you're sending cellular data, you're still tromboning it back through a cellular network. And if you're at a gateway, you know you're sending cell data basically to the cloud at that point. You're an aggregating in the cloud. You're not getting quick feedback. You're you're not able to send data from a sensor maybe to a gateway, you know, within a mile. Is is are we basically, you know, in these 
telephone networks that are completely separate from local local wireless networks and local traffic networks can we can we avoid having to you know use all these disparate disconnected um, non-routed networks well i think that that um in systems that have gateways i i don't think we're going to be using cellular from the uh, uh from the sensor i think the sensor is going to continue to use low power wireless lp wan it's called um you know, so it's going to use things like like um 802.15.4, which is what Zigbee is based on or Thread is based on. And I think that those will be the wireless communication mechanisms or, or, um, or potentially Bluetooth up from the sensor to the, uh, to the gateway. Um, it, it, it's only in systems where the sensor can cost an extra, you know, 10 bucks uh, or 15 and you can afford another, you know, eight, 10 bucks a year to send the data for that sensor. Uh, that's where you're going to be able to put a cellular on that sensor. And, and to me, it's a lot like this, like, like you've just taken a bit of the gateway and built it on the sensor. Um, and so that's why I did mention that, that, that the line. Because it's a more, yeah, the more line is very unit. fuzzy here about is this a, is this an edge node or a, a, a gateway node? So this is it, this is an interesting dilemma to me because one of the things that I, I you know I see coming and I hear a lot about is this data explosion problem um, or expectation and you know I think IoT becomes much more meaningful as cost per sensor drops um, and you get into a case where you instead of having you're like oh I can only afford one sensor here but with you know a, a local aggregation point local networking local uh, gateways, you could put a hundred sensors in that in that field and not be paying per month for cellular connections and, and the data transit and things like that. And then you could start getting faster. There's there's all sorts of things that get unlocked when we're talking about you know a, a more uh, connected um, and they're all it's all networked, but it's not as as low latency direct. It seems like almost two very different models. Is, is, is the world that sort of that disparate? And is there one that's going to take over? I don't think there's going to be one that takes over. I think we're going to find that uh, depending on the use case, there's going to be some that make sense a little more than others. Um, so I think that we're going to have, uh, you know, we're going to have use cases where uh, edge nodes can't cost more than three, four bucks. And it's going to, and that's going to define what we can do. And with that, you know, or use cases where uh, they need to run on a coin cell for uh, for for two years, and I think that that's going to define what you know. There's go there's always going to be these kinds of these kinds of driving requirements, and that's what we try and tease out very early on with customers is what's the driving requirements here? You know, what what's the constraints? Is the is the cost con is there a cost constraint? Is there a a, a power constraint? Um, you know, is there a processing constraint? Do we need to be able to respond? You know, is there a, a specific precision or dynamic range that this that this sensor needs to have? And so that's going to drive us uh, drive us to go one way or another. It's interesting. It's it, looking at it in the context to me of the whole conversation. Though there's there's another thing uh, I'm interested in your opinion on because. You know, the networking you're describing, especially cellular networking, 
you, you put a sensor out there and basically you're now in the cell, the cell system and it's, you know, routed through all the, all the, all the general cloud routing. And then there's a gateway, a network gateway, and it comes to cloud or generalized infrastructure. Is there any incentive for the telcos to like create a hybrid model where you could use their, their Wi-Fi spectrum, their networks, but not make it a generalized cell modem type thing that could talk to anything that could you know have a regional constraint more like a wan constraint do you, do you understand what i'm what i'm saying like it, it feels to me like we're, we're either saying hey you're in this one network that has to talk to the whole cloud and go everywhere or you're in this totally separate network that's that's constrained by a, a wi-fi boundary like a you know wi-fi boundary and you know, and you're either on a cell cell carrier tel telco carriers network, or you're on a a network, a, a, a you know, Wi-Fi network, an IP network. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're. Can we bridge those two worlds? Does it have to be that like a well, from a from a, a uh, uh, from a voice corollary? Aren't you talking about the old Nextel phones? Push to talk. Uh, remember, I mean, there, so. there were there were Nextel phones that had push to talk, and that was a almost a private network that those things ran on, right? Not not mm, out. Okay. It didn't go all the way out to you know, hey, they're all out to the switching network, right? Um, and I think that there is opportunity uh, for those types of wow. for those types of things. If I understand what you're saying, I mean, that's really what um, something like Sigfox and LoRa are trying to put together. And the the I don't know I, those are both new terms. Sigfox. What are Sigfox and Laura? So these are um, these are low power broad area um, wireless networks for IoT devices. Uh, okay. Um, but the challenge and the reason you responded the way you did is it's hard to build a new network, right? You got infrastructure. Um, uh, uh, Sigfox and Laura are popular in in um, uh, Laura specifically is popular in Europe. Um, you have you don't you know you don't have the wide open spaces like Austin to concern yourself with, right? Um, I think if I fire up my Laura development board here, I'll find a point here in Pittsburgh that it might be able to pick up. But if I get in a car and drive fifty miles outside of Pittsburgh, it won't. I won't. I won't be able to reach a Laura endpoint. And so for those kinds of situations, in a uh, specifically. Uh, let's say uh, uh, an instance where you don't have um, your assets moving around a lot. Maybe you're a a large manufacturing facility, but you cover you know fifty acres worth of land. You could set up a you could set up your own um, low power wide area network with a Sigfox or a LoRa or something like that. And now you now you kind of get the benefit of of um, wireless communication without having to tie into the cellular network. And that I've heard of, I've heard in the 5G cases where, you know, factories are setting up 5G, you know, doing their own, re, you know, on-premises 5G. And 5G has some private frequency options, I believe, that you could set it up where it's a, you know, you're a 5G range where people with 5G can walk in, get on your private 5G, but then have things routed into the public phone network carriers so that it's it's a seamless, I believe, is that, I, I think I'm characterizing that right, is 5G has sort of this private public 
hybrid concept in it? I don't have information on that. I hadn't paid attention to to that because, like I say, I'm just um, I'm just avoiding five G. <laughs> is Ed? Is it expensive? Ed, is it expensive to set up one of these networks you're talking about, or is it cheaper than just? I would assume it's more expensive to set it up than just you know buying well, initial, some space. Well, uh, initial setup in, requires um, requires uh, the hardware purchase, of course. But what you are saving on is you are uh, you know these folks are not charging you monthly. And you know, not not limiting you to the amount of data that you're sending and all of that. I mean, you're basically setting up your own little, you know, it's not a it's not cellular because it's it's not it's not the kind of thing that can hand off from one cell to another and all those good things. But but it's you know, it's your own little uh, think of it think of it more like Wi-Fi. It's like setting up a big Wi-Fi. Interesting. See, Rob, right as usual, right around when we start to look to break our podcast, um, we get into something totally new and unknown. Uh, Ed, this is this is really good stuff. I, Ed, we're going to have to bring you back because I, I, I think uh, you hit some areas we hadn't talked about before. Great. Yeah, bring me and the Laura, Laura folks back and we'll all learn something. Yeah, well, we're going to go. We're going to go. Do you know those folks, Ed, by chance? Um, yeah, I've met them several times at the trade shows. Um, I, I, okay. I would love to, uh, to to use that to find an instance where my where the assets don't move around so much, and we could use a system like that. Well, we're off on a new a new tangent, Rob, for new podcasts. Ed, Laura, how do I spell it? Just L O R A R L O R A. Okay. Well, to our listeners, yeah, there it is, L-O-R-A, Low Powered Wire Area Network, and they even have a, an alliance. Well, Ed, you've turned on something new. We appreciate it. Uh, to our listeners, I'm going to go find these folks and uh, see if we can't uh, get them on the podcast and everything. Well, Rob, I'm, no, I'm stopping all your questions. More. I know you have lots. Let's get started. But, um, <laughs> I know, but if we go too long, our listeners tell us they like it a little shorter. So we went all over 30 bit. Ed, this was fantastic having you on. Uh, super appreciate you joining. I've seen that you speak at some IoT events and things in the past. Any events upcoming you're going to be talking at? That uh, I haven't locked down the 2020 schedule yet, but uh, I, uh, I'm certainly going to attend IoT World, and, I'll, uh, and uh, I may speak there as well. Um, watch our... Watch our yeah, watch our website at softwaredesignsolutions.com for upcoming speaking events, and we'll be posting all of them there. Okay. And if, they, if people want to get in touch with yeah, you, the easiest you have a way Twitter is, uh, or something is just to like catch, that? It, uh, catch us at, um, uh, at softwaredesignsolutions.com. Well, Ed, not a Twitter guy. That's fine. I, I find myself doing less Twitter, and it's kind of hard. I'm still going through. I'm still shaking because I'm a, a junkie. So, uh, Rob and Ed, thanks again for a fantastic podcast today. To our listeners, uh, hopefully you found this interesting. If you have questions for Ed, we encourage you to reach out, and we will certainly bring Ed back on again. And uh, if you want to participate in a podcast, just let Rob or myself know. Thanks again to both of you. Just let Rob or myself know. Thanks again to both of you.